You are listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I am your host, Celine Yeager. Each week, I bring you advice from athletes, scientists, researchers, and other experts to help you feel and perform your best, no matter what your hormones are doing. This show is a production of Live Feisty Media. Hello, strong, feisty women. I hope everyone is well. So I have a fun conversation today about a topic that has captured my imagination of late, and that is obstacle course racing. I dabbled in these probably almost 20 years ago at this point, and then, you know, went on to pursue other passions like mountain biking and triathlon. And while recently I've been looking for some new challenges and I've seen a lot of women in our hit play, not pause group raving about obstacle course racing, and it has definitely piqued my interest. So, as one does, I decided to do a show. This week, I sat down with Laura McElduff, who herself didn't pick up obstacle course racing until she was 42, and she is now 52, and she credits the training she's done for this sport for helping her get through perimenopause. Laura has competed at every distance from 3K to 50K ultras. She has raced in Canada and the UAE and throughout the USA. And she placed top 10 in her age group, which is 50-54, in the 2021 Spartan North American Championships and in the 2021 Spartan World Championships in Abu Dhabi, UAE. She is also a normal, meaning not professional athlete kind of person. She's the mom of a young adult daughter and son and is the vice president of a fragrance company in New Jersey. So she totally gets what training around normal life looks like. She told me that she is just passionate about sharing health and fitness and her journey with other women who don't want to give up on doing fun, enjoyable things in life just because their bodies are transitioning to this new phase. You can follow her on Instagram. I'll put a link to that in the show notes. I really love this conversation. You know, we talk all about not only her journey, but also like what these races look like and where you can find them and how to train for them and what happens if you can't do the obstacles. Anyway, we we talk about all of that. It was a great conversation and I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. All right, before we get to it, quick reminder to head on over to feistymenopause.com and subscribe to my weekly newsletter blog if you haven't already. Each Thursday, we bring you all the latest on health and fitness and hormones, so check that out. You can find us, as always, at Feisty Menopause on Instagram and Facebook. You can join our still-growing private Hit Play Not Pause Facebook group and be part of our conversations there. I have an email if you'd like to reach me. I'm at hitplaynotpause at lifeisty.com. As always, if you like the show, please share it with your friends and on your socials. The show continues to grow. I'm super stoked. I thank you. And I really appreciate the hearts, the stars, and the great reviews that continue to come in. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Quick thanks to Inside Tracker for their continued support of the show. I had to reschedule my follow-up uh, that I talk- talked about oh, oh last month. <laughs> I had to reschedule that to this month. I'm getting it next week. So I'll finally be getting some blood drawn, and I'm very anxious to see if my progress is continuing. Stay tuned for that. Thank you, Inside Tracker. And speaking of Inside Tracker, they also sponsor our new Nine Voices for Title Nine podcast series over at the Feisty Women's Performance Podcast. Those interviews have been awesome. I did a couple myself 
uh, one with Marianne Martin, who was the first women's Tour de France winner, and Amanda Levy, who was the MMA fighter. I loved these conversations. Highly recommend going over there and checking those out. All right, enough of me. Let's have a word or two about our awesome sponsors and get on with the show. For decades, running shoes have been researched, tested, and designed for men. Brands have relied on the shrink it and pink it approach to sell male shoes to female customers. That's why we are stoked to be working with Hedda's. Hedda's designs athletic footwear for women that elevates performance, safety, and style. Hedda's has unlocked the science behind women's biomechanics through dedicated research and creates better shoes for women's performance. Some of Hedda's special features include a lower ankle collar to reduce rubbing on women's ankle bones, a breathable mesh toe box to allow for ventilation and accommodate female toe shape, a more narrow and reductive heel cup to reduce heel slippage and take pressure off the Achilles, a rounded instep that creates a snug fit through the middle to match the curvature of a woman's foot, and supercritical foam and a PBEX plate in the midsole to keep our legs going when the going gets tough. Hedda's has three shoe models designed for different sessions, the Alma Cruise for your long runs, the Alma Tempo for training days, and the Alma Speed for pushing the pace. I've been running in the Alma Tempos, and they are a pleasure to train in. You can get your own pair of Hedda's at Hedda's.com and use the code FEISTY20, that's all caps, FEISTY20, for 20% off. Check it out today. We'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap. Musculoskeletal health is everything during menopause. Everyone knows how much I love Joint Health Plus from Prevenex, which has helped me get back to distance running after arthritic toes stopped me in my tracks. Now they have a product that has become my go-to for muscle strength and recovery, Muscle Health Plus. Muscle Health Plus contains all the key ingredients we talk about on this show, like creatine monohydrate, essential amino acids, and branched-chain amino acids, Plus, even more cutting-edge ingredients like HMB and estrogen that are scientifically shown to increase muscle growth, recovery, and strength. I use it every day during my early morning lifting sessions, and there's no question that it helps my power during those workouts and my recovery after. Plus, I love having everything I need from the best high-quality ingredients in one reasonably priced shake. I've also heard from fellow users who have had bloating or GI upset in the past from creatine that haven't had any of that with Muscle Health Plus. I make my shake with almond milk and espresso, but it's also good with ice cold water, which makes the flavor really pop. As always, you can get 15% off your first order with the code HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. That's HIPPLAY, all caps, one word, at Prevenex.com. Do your muscles a favor and head on over and get some today. Good sleep. The one thing that sets you up for a great workout and a good day is quality sleep. We talk about it all the time here on the show, which is why I'm stoked to have Lagoon Sleep as a new sponsor. Because one of the most overlooked tools in a great sleep toolbox is the thing you literally rest your head on eight hours a night, your pillow. A quality pillow is everything. Otherwise, you end up tossing, turning, punching, and folding your pillow, waking up with neck pain, and all the stuff that happens when your pillow doesn't meet your personal comfort needs. Say hello to the most comfortable sleep you've ever had with Lagoon. They start you out with a two-minute personalized pillow quiz and then pair you with your perfect pillow. I got the Otter, a cooling adjustable pillow that is perfect for side sleepers who run warm at night like I do. It is a dream. It's fully adjustable, so I was able to get the perfect loft and support 
and the cooling feature is everything. As someone who turned into a furnace every evening before menopause, I appreciate that the otter is stuffed with shredded gel-infused memory foam, which instead of trapping heat from my neck and head, draws it away and dissipates it. It's truly delightful. I'm a good sleeper, and Otter has taken it to the next level with both support and cooling. Put my head down, good night, Irene. My aura ring confirms what little tossing and turning I was doing is gone. The beauty of the pillow quiz is you can get the perfect pillow that you need to and make your sleep the best sleep you can have. Go to lagoonsleep.com slash hit play and take the two minute quiz to find your perfect match and then use the code hit play all caps one word for 15% off your first purchase. Sweet dreams. All right, Laura, I am very stoked to talk to you because we actually have a lot of obstacle course racers in our community. And it's, as we'll talk about, it's something I, I've dipped my toes in, but I don't know a whole lot about. And I'm, it's funny, I'm actually starting to get intrigued again because of all of the chatter about it. So I'm excited for this conversation. And it started, you know, with a little thread in the Hit Play Not Pause channel Uh, where you chimed in and you said, you know, that you were an obstacle course racer, you're 52, and you credited obstacle course racing with helping you through perimenopause. And you say there are so many competitive women in the 40 plus age groups, and a few of us still in the 50 plus, though it's mostly the hardcore ladies who still hang on after age 50. And you said the specific training necessary has helped my body stay fit. So I want to get into all of that. But first, I want to hear a little background on you and how you got into it. Awesome. Well, thanks, Celine. Thanks for having me. Um, so I, I was not athletic growing up. My mom would not let me play sports. She, she would basically say, I don't understand why anyone would want to do anything other than read a good book. So <laughs> that was my mom. And, uh, and her brother, uh, on the other hand, was into every single sport that he could get his hands on. So I, I don't know what their deal was, but but anyway, she had no interest in it, but, but it was, um, it was a lot of, uh, fat talk and all, all sorts of awful body image stuff that I would hear from family members. So I kind of, I, I learned there was a lot of, well, you're born into our family. So your destiny is to be obese, but don't let yourself get that way. But, <laughs> but, but just read, don't play sports. Yeah, yeah, just read, don't play sports. So so um, when I went to college, I had a, a friend who was in the nursing program and she was required to take a phys ed class. And they, I, the one she took was basically doing uh, like the, the weight machines in the gym, like the Nautilus Cybex. So we would go with her and she taught us how. And I'm like, all right, this is kind of cool. We go for walks around campus and, you know, it just became part of our routine. And, you know, as a, as a 20 year old, I recognize that I am going to have to do something for the rest of my life. The my entire life, I'm going to have to do something. And once I recognized that, it was like, well, okay, this is this is what we're doing. And I thought, oh my God, in like 20 years I'll be in my 40s. That's really old and I'll still have to be doing something. <laughs> <laughs> so um so then you know get into my 20s and my um I would do little, little walks and, and things. I would do uh, videos like kickboxing videos and, you know, kind of like Tybo or whatever. 
And uh, my husband got me as a gift, a gym membership. And of course, I went back to what I knew, the, the Nautilus machines and started doing that. And one of the, the trainers at the gym said, hey, have you ever worked with free weights? And I'm like, oh, no, because that's like the guy section, you know, the big jack dudes are over there. And he he was trying to get more women to do some free weights. So he put me on program, showed me how to do, you know, like your typical, like, um, backs and buys, you know, your bicep curls and, you know, tricep kickbacks and all that stuff. And, and I, I liked it and, you know, each, it, it was progressive, you know, you would add weight as you increase weights and reps and so forth. So I liked it. My body was responding well to it. It was, it was really enjoyable. Um, so I was there for a couple of years and then, um, my husband and I were trying to buy a house. So we were doing cutback and budget. So we actually bought some, a little weight set for me, you know, some weights and a little bench. You know, it was like very woman specific because, you know, at that time it was still kind of like, you know, women don't really do this, but you know, so, yeah. so I had this little weight set in my house and um, I was doing the weights and I would go out and run a little bit, you know, nothing, nothing huge, like a mile or two. And, um, then that's actually how I figured out I was pregnant because I went out on a run and threw up <laughs> <laughs> and I came back and took a pregnancy test and sure enough. Yeah. So, um, so I, I would do, I would do some working out. Um, my doctor told me while you're pregnant, you can still work out. Just don't do anything heavy because you know, the joints start loosening up. So I would do my workout videos, um, through pregnancy and, you know, I, I feel like it helped with giving birth. Um, you know, afterwards I was still doing, doing the same thing and getting my body back, you know, talk about you're getting your body back and all that. So, so I continued to work out through my thirties, uh, just doing, uh, some weights and walking a little bit of running now. And then I, uh, did a cardio kickbox class one time, which was really fun. Um, and, but then I got in my late thirties and I wasn't like, I, I was starting to put on a little weight, you know, I was like 36 and I thought, well, I was talking to people and started going out running and had no idea what I was doing, but I started running and increasing miles, still doing some, a little bit of weight work. Um, and then my husband said, why don't you sign up for a 5k? I'm like, I can't do 5k. That's like serious. Like, you know, real runners do that. I can't do that. He's like, no, just give it a try. Well, I got hooked <laughs> and it went from doing five K's to, um, half marathon marathon. I decided I wanted to do a marathon before I turned 40. So when I was 39, I did my first marathon and trained for it, you know, and I got into the running, um, and then, you know, at work, one of my coworkers, uh, did this thing called a Spartan race. And I was 42 at this time. So this was 2012 and, and she was explaining it and I felt, well, you know, that sounds kind of cool. Um, and in the meantime, like a year before I had joined a functional fitness gym that was very much about, um, you know, lift heavy things, mm -hmm. um, just all sorts of full body workouts. There was no workout that was the same. It was all, you know, you might be doing bear crawls on the ground, you might be lifting a heavy barbell. So it was all very functional. And the, the people who owned the gym were very into well, what do you want to be doing when you're 80? 
you know, that was their, that's their philosophy. It was just very much of, you need to move, you need to be able to get up and down off the ground so that you're not um, one of the people that just, you know, need somebody to pick you up if you fall down, um, that you could pick yourself up. <laughs> so that really resonated, you know, based on, you know, family history with my, I was seeing my uh, mom, grandma, great grandma, they all were just like not able to do pretty much anything. Um, and I didn't want to be that way. And I, I saw people who were in their 60s, 70s at the gym who were doing everything that people do in their 30s and 20s. So uh, so anyway, the Spartan race, my coworker introduced me to that. Um, a bunch of us from work decided to do the race. And we had no idea, none, what we were getting into. It was at a ski resort in New Jersey. Um, we knew that it was like anywhere from six to eight miles. It was 11 miles. <laughs> we were out there for like five hours. There was a group of us and it was a, it was a blast. We got filthy. We laughed, we helped each other it, and I got hooked. So, uh, the next year, my husband signed me up for the Killington beast, which was on the ski resort, which at that time was probably the toughest obstacle course race in North America. It was like um, supposed to be over half marathon distance. I think it was about 17 miles. Wow. <laughs> and I was doing it with a couple of co coworkers. And this was the, this was only the second obstacle race that she and I had done. And her husband had never done one. And uh, the two of them dropped out halfway just because it was too, too tough. And I stayed and was out there for 10 hours and ended up finishing with a group of 20 something year old guys that we were out on court. So it was amazing. And after that, I really got into it. So I was balancing the running and the obstacle course racing for a while until I finally decided to switch over to primarily doing obstacle course racing. And that's kind of where I am now. What, what does that, what does it actually look like? I mean, you're out there for 10 hours. Like I, you know, I did a tough mudder many moons ago and I remember that we mountain biked and there were monkey bars and a big mud pit. And I did a couple um, high tech adventure races, which were kind of very light adventure races. They were like maybe 12 hours and you had to climb a 10 foot Crisco covered wall at the end. And there was orienteering that I was terrible at. But, you know, the Spartan race I'm not as familiar with. And it looks like I looked at some videos and there seemed to be a lot of obstacles. Can you just sort of like talk a little bit through like what kind of things you encounter during these kind of races? Sure. Uh, an obstacle course race. Uh, there are two main kinds. There's the stadium race, which is an obstacle race held in a, like, let's say a football stadium or a baseball stadium. So like city field or Fenway park, they, you, you would, uh, be doing a lot of stair running. You'd be running in the, the ramps that lead up to the upper levels, running through the seat areas, and then back down on field level in the parking lot and so forth. So there would be, uh, that's 5K distance, and it would be about 20 obstacles. And the obstacles are basically um, over, under, through, heavy carries, um, push-pull, uh, rope climb, and for Spartan race, there's a spear throw. So you're actually throwing a spear at a target. So it's kind of fun, but, um, so that those are obstacles that you would, you would find 
at a typical obstacle course race. So when you say over, like over means over walls, uh, over hurdles, over uh, something that's like a table or a box that's pretty high. So maybe an eight foot box with a rope on it. Mm. So you're going over that type of obstacle. Under would be under uh, ropes or under uh, a net of some sort, under barbed wire or <laughs> other wire. Yeah, barbed wire, you have to be careful. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, through, I consider anything through to be something like monkey bars or other uh, hanging implements. There could be, it's, they call it a rig. It's basically like, like monkey bars, but it has things hanging down. So there could be rings, there could be ropes, there could be wheels that spin, there could be blocks that you hang on to, like hand grips for, for a wall climb or gotcha. not wall climbs, climbing, 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 like rock climbing kind of thing. Yeah. Like yeah. That. Mm-hmm. Those types of things. Um, so those are the main through ones. There might be a rope traverse. So a rope is hanging horizontal on a frame and you shimmy across it without touching the ground. So you can either go on top of it or hang under it, but you're pulling with your, your, your hands and your your legs, basically. Um, the carries would be, you have something heavy to carry that you have to take from here to there. So it could be farmer's carries where you're carrying something with a handle. Uh, it could be a sandbag and you would either hold it in your arms or on your shoulders. It could be a bucket filled with rocks. It could be a log, um, <laughs> It could be uh, a heavy atlas stone, like a concrete stone. Um, and then the poles would be things like a, um, a drag. So you have this thing that looks kind of like a sled and it has a heavy weight on it and you're pulling it towards you. And then you drag it back to where you started. Um, another drag could, or pull would be a sandbag on a pulley. So you're lifting it up all the way to the top of the, gotcha. the rope and then you let it back down. Um, rope climb, those are pretty much standard in any sort of obstacle race. You're going to have to climb a rope. Um, but most of the, the obstacle course races are outdoors at some sort of venue, usually a ski, a ski mountain, so that you'll be going up and down the hills on some pretty gnarly terrain. Uh, sometimes they're at ATV or adventure parks. So you'd be on the course where like motorcycles or, you know, dirt bikes, ATVs go. Um, The people who design the courses always like to take you through the gnarliest part. So you're going to be in the water. You're going to be in the mud. They seem to love to find the mud. Um, If you're uh, lucky or unlucky, depending on your perspective, you might end up with some snow on the course that they're going to make you go through, but it's not much. It's usually like hard pack left over from ski season. Um, and then the distances vary. So they're anywhere from like 3K to 50K. And the number of obstacles will vary. So if you're the short distances, like the three to five Ks, you'll have about 20, 25 obstacles. And then your mid distance would be like 10K, 10K to maybe 15K is more of a mid distance. So you would have probably about 25 to 30 obstacles. And then uh, the longer distances would be 21K up to 50K. And those you would have more than 30 and up to 60 obstacles. So it's it's pretty uh, pretty intense. Okay, so is it a, a couple of questions there. Is it a team pursuit or is it solo? And what happens if you 
what if I can't climb a rope? Like what happens if you can't do one of these things? Sure. Um, a lot of people start out doing this with a team. They'll start with a team of friends, maybe either people from their gym or people that they're just friends with that are also interested in trying something different, something to challenge themselves. So, and that's actually a lot of fun. That's how I started doing it with mm -hmm. friends. You go out and you, you help each other. You can help each other over a wall. So if you get to an eight foot wall and you don't know how to climb that, your buddy can help you right. and then you help your buddy. And, and it's, it's a lot of fun. There's a lot of laughter involved. Um, a lot of people have trouble with the hanging obstacles. So like the monkey bars and the rigs. So if you can't complete that and you're in the open wave and that there's a difference between the open wave, which is for fun, which you would do with your group. And then the competitive waves, the competitive waves, there, there are rules and standards that one needs to abide by and you have to you know, follow the rules and you complete penalties. Now the penalties vary by race. So Spartan race brand is known for doing burpees. So if you're doing a, uh, Let's say you're doing a stadium race, which is the shorter 5K clean race, no mud in a stadium, and you fail an obstacle, you do 15 burpees. But if you're doing the other types of races that are outdoors, you're doing, uh, if, even if it's like the 5K race, uh, 5K to 50K, you're doing 30 burpees per missed obstacle. So if you're doing a, um, you know, you miss something, you do your 30 burpees, you move on. If you're in the open way, they don't hold you to that standard quite as much because you're out there for fun. But if you're a competitor, you better be doing your burpees. <laughs> uh, now, some of the races have other penalties where they'll make you do or ask you to do maybe uh, 50 squats or jumping jacks, or, or they'll actually give you a wristband that you wear and you have as many chances to complete that obstacle as you want. And then if you feel you can't do it, you give up the wrist, wristband and you're no longer considered a competitive racer, but that's just for competitive right. racers. The open waves, you really just are out there for you and to challenge yourself to try to do whatever it is that you are able to do physically. Right, right. So somewhere between 42 and 52, right? Which you are now, and you've done <clears throat> many of these. Where does your perimenopausal menopausal journey enter the picture? And, and did anything affect this um, training and racing and competing? Yeah, I think so. I mean, I feel like pretty much every time I had some sort of big change in life, uh, there were a couple of things happening at the same time. Like when I turned 30, I had a kid. So I don't know what would happen as a 30 year old to my body as that was changing. I ended up having kids at 30 and 32. Um, when I turned 40, I was running high mileage and um, I didn't really notice that much of a difference. At 41, I joined this functional fitness gym and started doing more weights and, and so, you know, more heavy weights, like barbell stuff that I'd never done before. Um, I, I got to a point where I was running certain paces that I was expecting, let's say my 5k time or my 10k time or whatever. Um, and that was all great through about age 45 and then maybe 46. And then I started kind of dropping off. There was a huge change around age 47. Now I've been on uh, birth control pills since I was uh, in my early thirties, like after 
after about age 32 continuously. Mm-hmm. And I had no idea that, you know, I just thought you stay on those and you, you're good. You know, I didn't think there'd be changes, you know, you're just, and, and, but so I didn't understand that I was actually probably going through perimenopause at age 46 or 47, but my, I was putting on some weight. I was not a lot and I was slowing down with running and I mentioned to my doctor and, and I said, you know, I, I don't, I don't know what's happening. You know, I, 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 I'm gaining a little weight and she just kind of smirked a little. She's like, well, that's just kind of what happens. I said, no, you don't understand my workout schedule. What I eat. <laughs> <laughs> and I told her and she goes, Oh, okay. And then she sent me to have my thyroid tested and everything came up fine. And basically I kind of got, well, you're healthy and, and fit. I don't get what your deal is. So just, you know, it's almost like doctors don't care when you're, you're fit and healthy and you don't look like you're a problem. You don't look like you have problems. It's almost like, okay, so what? You run a little slower. Who cares? Well, I care. <laughs> right. Did she ever mention menopause at all? Not really. I asked her about it and I said, well, how long am I going to be on birth control? And she said, well, well, around 51, we'll start taking you off it. And, and that didn't happen because COVID I, I stayed on it until I, well, I was 51 actually, but I mean, she wanted me to come off it, but I had a big race coming up. It was the Spartan North American championship in September. And I said, I, that's my goal race of the year coming back from COVID. I want to you know, stay on it till then. And she's like, yeah, yeah, just stay on it. And then after the race, get off the birth control and, and, and we'll see what happens. And well, then I stayed on it because I qualified for the world championship in Abu Dhabi. And my husband was like, well, let's go. Cause when are we going to go to Abu Dhabi? So I stayed on it a couple more months. So basically I took the last pill the day of the race. It just happened to coincide with that. And then after that, I, so this was in December of 2021. I've been off, off birth control since then. And I had a couple of months of hot flashes, but then I don't know whether my body adjusted or if, uh, because I had the black cohosh that helped, mm. but, but anyway, it does, it didn't, I, I don't have them that much now. Um, and I, I just, I just continue to do what I'm doing, but I asked her a lot of questions about menopause, like what kinds of um, resources are there. And, you know, she sent me to the website and, and just, there, there really wasn't anything. And I'm thinking you're my age. Don't you <laughs> wonder too? Even as a <laughs> <laughs> um, but it just seemed to be like, she seemed to be pretty dismissive about it. And, and then I started researching and, you know, I, I, I found, um, Facebook groups, basically. And I found this podcast and, and, you know, Dr. Stacy Sims and so forth. And, you know, it was, it was like, well, why don't we have this, this information available to us? So, you know, it, it did my doctor mention menopause kind of like, eh, you know, it's what we go through. No big deal. You know, <laughs> it really, it just, <laughs> it, they're very dismissive. Yeah, no, that I, hopefully that will change, but there, there is still quite, quite a bit of that. And I think to your point, if you are healthy and fit and otherwise they're just like, okay, well, yeah, your 5k is not as fast, but uh, okay. <laughs> you know, good luck. Okay, um, yeah. yeah. So has your, did your 
How are you now as far as your training? And did you do anything when we talked offline? You had mentioned that um, that you were doing some grip strength training, I believe, and that there was some other stuff that you had started incorporating in your training. Uh, was that recent? Yeah, well, the grip strength training. So, so I what I'd always been doing for a few years. I would do I would do running. I was going to the functional fitness gym and I was doing some heavy weightlifting on my own, the, like the Wendler 531 program. Uh, mostly I would focus on that in the winter because I would be running less and I would be doing really heavy lifting in the winter, a little bit of running. Um, and then the functional fitness gym, which basically is, um, it's kind of like a hit training really. Right. Um, and you know, some sprints thrown in. What was the weight training? I'm sorry. The Wendler 531. It's basically heavy barbell training. Um, you do, it, it focuses on four major lifts. So it focuses on heavy squat, heavy deadlift, um, overhead press and bench press. So you're basically cycling through a four week plan. You know, the, the four, fourth week is the deload, but the three weeks of progressive uh, weight bearing uh, exercises focusing on those major lifts and then a deload week. And then you increase the, for the next cycle. So, and that, um, you know, that I found to be found to be really helpful in terms of just building basic body strength. And then the, the hit training I was doing at the gym also incorporated some weights, but it more, uh, small, full body, small muscles. So things like, uh, thrusters or, uh, ground overhead or, or um, plank rows, or uh, mountain climbers, bear crawls, you know, all sorts of things like that. Um, and then when COVID hit, the gym closed, and that was tough on everybody. So I, I basically, um, I had some gym equipment in my house. I had uh, the barbell set, so squat rack bench. I had dumbbells. I had a few other things, and, you know, you can run. So actually my son and I started doing like a bodybuilding kind of thing. You know, he was, he was home and we started doing like bicep curls and, and delt raises all this stuff just for, you know, something to do, uh, which was a different type of thing than I'd been doing. And, you know, I looked good, but I don't, I, it didn't help me to really do anything, but there were no races anyway. So (laughs) Um, then you know, and later in 2020, I was hopeful that maybe uh, races would open up again. So I actually joined um, an online training uh, plan for obstacle course racing. It was very specific for obstacle course racing. So it focuses a lot on running and, and getting your speed up. There's sprint intervals, there's tempo training, there's endurance and so forth. But it also focused a lot on uh, training for the obstacles that, that you're going to be doing on the course. So there was grip strength training, which has to do with being able to, uh, hang from a bar, um, do hand position changes on a bar. So you're not just hanging, but you're also moving your hands, uh, you know, palms towards you, palms away from you, because when you're not static on a monkey bar or any sort of grip obstacle like that. So you have to get used to moving, moving your hands, moving your body. Um, another way that you improve grip strength is through carries. So farmer's carries, like let's say you have dumbbells or kettlebells and you just walk with them. And 
one of the workouts that we did was walk half a mile carrying 35 pound dumbbells. <laughs> <laughs> You're looking at my eyes get big. <laughs> yes. But I mean, I, I have to tell you, my forearms felt like they'd been beaten with a hammer, but you know, it's good training. So, and I'm not saying everybody has to do that. You, you start where, where you are, you know, yeah. maybe you start with uh, 10 pound weights or 15, 20, wherever you are, you start with that and you do, you know, walk with the dumbbells. And if you really want to uh, kill two birds with one stone, you can do some lun- lunges while you're doing the farmer's carry. So, uh, so those are the types of things that you can do to improve grip strength. And of course, pull-ups, um, ring rows. If you have the rings hanging down, you do the body rows. Those help build up your back. Uh, pull-ups, of course, pull-up training is part of of what I'm doing, but really improving that grip grip. And it, it really improved my obstacle proficiency tremendously doing that. Where did you notice it most? Anything that had to do with, um, pulling myself over walls. Even it was, it was an improvement because I'd been building my back muscles and you need that upper back muscles to pull yourself over the walls. Now I could get over them anyway, but it was so much easier since I'd been doing some of that upper back training and that and that was more focused on the grip strength training so that helped a lot um what other types of training it has you do some um lifting from ground to overhead and has you doing you know carrying a heavy sandbag for example or heavy other heavy implement but really a lot of the training is based on running and i was a little skeptical at first because i you know, I, I was used to training a certain way, but to be fair, I wasn't getting better. Mm. And when I switched over to this training, I wasn't doing as much of the heavy lifting that I was used to. I still was doing some and like, I'm not, I didn't give that up, but, um, but focusing more on specific motions that, that really help you with obstacle course racing, really improve my obstacle completion and, and running. So uh, I felt like it was a, it was a plus. So your running got faster again. Is that what I'm hearing? Uh, for, for obstacle course racing? Yes. And even on the road, I did a couple of half marathons this year just to see where I was and I had gotten better. And I never got back to where I was pre what I think was perimenopause, right. but I did improve, um, since that time. So I, I call it my, I, well, now I call it my over 50, <laughs> fine. but it's whatever, <laughs> but that actually got faster and progressively faster over That's cool. a couple of months. So, so it helped. So what are the women's fields like in these races? Yeah. So it's still a very male dominated sport. Unfortunately, um, you do see a lot of women out there in groups with, uh, I think a lot of women feel very much more comfortable with their friends doing it. And it, even if it's a co-ed group, just, just being out there with your friends. I, what I hear from my friends, even the ones who are fit are like, Oh, I can't do that. You know, or I, I, I couldn't do that. There's, there's no way I, what you do is crazy. I'm like, no, it isn't really crazy. Okay. It is crazy, but it's not that crazy. Um, you know, you can, if you can pick up, something, uh, you know, something that weighs 30, 40, 50 pounds. If you can walk on a course, you can do an obstacle race. Are you going to be able to complete every obstacle? Probably not. Who cares? (laughs) You know, you can, you can do a lot. 
Now, the women's competitive fields are smaller than the men's. Uh, most of the women who are competing either at the elite level or in the competitive age group level are very much into it. And they train, they're, they're, they're committed, they're training hard, they're, they're still out there. So you see that the, the 30, the age groups that are 30 to 49 are pretty good sized. They're not as big as the men's by any means, but they're, they're pretty decent sized. Um, you start to see a drop off in the 50 to 54 age group and huge drop off at 55 to 59 and almost non-existent at 60 plus for the women. And I'm not entirely sure what that's about. Um, I don't know if it's just that as women age, they, they don't know really what is happening or what to do about it. You know, again, there aren't as many resources for us and, and, to be fair, you know, Title IX was it, that started when we were very, very small or just being totally. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of the first generation, I feel like, to test this out. Yes, yes, we are. I mean, there's a lot of factors going there. I mean, I think that's a huge one. And I also think, you know, what we talked about earlier that and why we're here at this podcast that when, you know, men have sort of a longer off ramp with their hormones, but like if, like many women hit that precipice, that cliff where the hormones just, just go haywire and then dive. And, and it can cause like a sudden feeling of not of, of physical change that would make it challenging, right. To line up for something like this or to continue. And that's why we're trying here to talk about all the ways that you can continue to train and help yourself. And you've, you've already been doing a lot of them, right. You've already been lifting heavy. You have this history of doing the higher intensity stuff and all the things that we talk about on the show as ways that do help mitigate that hormone change. So, you know, I, I, I would love to encourage more women in this audience, try this. Like I'm very intrigued by this at this point, because, you know, I, I, I can ride my bike 125 miles. I can ride it 200 miles, but I don't know how many pull-ups I can do at this point or if I can climb a rope. And there's, right, I, right. there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of value to that sort of, that sort of strength and that sort of functional ability and well-roundedness, especially as we get, you know, older and, uh, you know, grip strength has, has been shown many times in many studies to, you know, to be correlated with longevity. You know, and there's, you know, that's a chicken and egg thing a little bit, but, but if, if you are doing all these things to maintain your grip strength, that that enables you to keep doing a lot of things, you know, that will help you live a long, robust life. So that's a very long winded question of saying like, how, like, what would you advise someone like even myself, like, okay, I'm sold. Where do I dip my toe into this thing? Yeah. So my, my recommendation is to start with one of the shorter races. So like the 5k distance and you can find, um, Spartan race, uh, Savage race has some shorter distance ones. Uh, I'm trying to think of some of the other, um, there is the rugged maniac. They have a lot of fun obstacles and they're a shorter distance race. Uh, there are a lot of local races that, that you could find. But I would say start with the, the shorter distance, maybe a stadium race. It's clean. Mm. <laughs> so people, people have an objection to, to the mud. Like my daughter. That's not a problem with me. 
my daughter, she did a couple of stadium races because she didn't want to do the mud part. She liked it. Not really her thing, but, you know, we did it as a team and it was, it was kind of fun. Uh, but, but if you do like the mud and, and I love it, I think it's very primal and mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like being, you know, eight years old again and running around in the mud. But I would say start with the shorter distance race, go out in an open wave with a friend or a couple of friends as a group. And just, just know that you're not out there to win. You're out there to see what your body can do and to have fun. That's really what it's about. And if you, if you like it, do a few more, you know, start, start trying to do these things. Um, if you really want to challenge yourself, get into the competitive waves. That's what I did. I, I started, I wanted to see what I could do on my own. So I started, um, I started doing the competitive waves and I didn't care if I was going to be last in my age group. I was going to see what I could do by myself because in the competitive waves, you can't get help from anybody. You can't give help. You can talk to people and say, Hey, good job. Or no, you can, you got this. And that happens, but it's still you and the rope or you and the wall or you and the, the sandbag carry. So um, I would say, join up with, with some friends and go out and have some fun. You can help each other. And if you're really hardcore, do a, do a middle distance, do one that's like a 10 K distance and, and, and just see how, how you want to challenge yourself. Yeah, no, I think that's, I think that's great advice. And I think to put a bow on that advice, you know, I, you know, I had shared before when we talked offline that I have a, a few friends who are not, you know, she is very active. She is, she hikes, she has done the Appalachian trail, but I would never, ever consider her someone who would do anything remotely like this, but she signed up with her family. Cause they're like, Hey, let's do this thing. It's at the local ski resort. And they had an amazing time. And, you know, when, when they went there, they were pleasantly surprised that it wasn't just like all these ripped shredded Spartan athlete, you know, like that you see, but, but just like normal people, just like them, just, Oh yeah. Yeah. Most of the people in the open wave are normal people. You know, a lot of them are, they're doing this specifically because they want to challenge themselves. They want to become uh, more active. And, and it was a way that, you know, you put something on the calendar and you're kind of committed to it. So, so you're going to train, you're going to try to walk every day or whatever it is that Wherever you are in your fitness, you want to try to get it a little bit better. So if, if you're walking and you're maybe um, carrying something, awesome. Do, do a little bit more of that. You know, do a few burpees. You know, you don't have to do 100 burpees. You do five. Uh, you start where you are and, and you, you see where it goes from there. And, you know, I, I know it's not for everybody. Some people don't like the mud and the, the wetness and all that. I think it's awesome. But... I, I get it. It's not everybody's thing, but it is awesome to be able to challenge oneself to see what you can do. Um, you know, I, I've done pretty much all the distances of the, the obstacle racing from the, the short course to the ultra and the ultra, you know, you're, you're committed, you're out there for like, like 12 hours. I mean, it's, it's insane. <laughs> What's the and, distance? Uh, 50 K. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. That's a long day. And one of the things I, I want to let people know, okay, let's say your 5K time is 25 minutes. 
don't think that your <laughs> obstacle race time is going to be that. It's not. <laughs> it's going to take you a lot longer because there are obstacles you complete. And, yeah. and uh, you know, those take a little while. So so figure you're probably going to be out there hour, hour and a half for, for a 5K distance, you know, depending on how fast you go and who you're with and, and you know, just have fun with it. Yeah, no, I th- I think that's I think that is really great advice. What is what's next on your calendar? So I'm actually racing this weekend. I'm doing um, two Spartan 5K outdoor distances on Saturday and Sunday. I'm doing racing both days on the competitive wave. The following weekend, I'm going to Ohio for what they call the Spartan calls the trifecta weekend, which means you do one race at each distance over the weekend. So. Saturday will be the 21K Beast, and Sunday will be the 10K Super and the 5K Sprint. So I'm doing those the following weekend. Um, I have the Ultra, my my A race of the year, I guess, is the, the Ultra Spartan Race in New Jersey in the fall. So that, I think that's like October 1st, 2nd, something like that. So when I get back into the Ultra, I've done a couple of them. Uh, I feel like I could do better at the distance. So I'm always trying to get better. Yeah, that's exciting. That's exciting. And I wonder my my gut for myself would be that I would find running those distances strangely easier in an obstacle course race than just straight out running those distances without you know the the interludes of doing these obstacles. Do you find that? So what I find it's completely different. Um when you're doing a road road running race, whether it's 5k uh, or a marathon, you're in one modality. You are getting into a groove and you're going at that pace and you're locked in, you're paying attention. You know, if you're doing it right, you're paying attention to your tangents and so forth, your, your nutrition and so forth. That is one type of modality. When you're doing an obstacle race, it is, uh, what they call compromised running. You run, you hit an obstacle, you complete that obstacle. And it could be something as simple as one, one six foot wall that you go over but that's interrupted your, your groove. And then you have to change your gear again, start running. It's also on different ter- terrain. So you're not running on pavement, you're running on uh, ground, you're, you're up and down the mountain. Some of it's power hiking. A lot of it's power hiking on the ski, ski slope. So you're going straight up, you know, it could be a mile straight up the mountain. Uh, and I find it to be um, much more engaging because you're changing gears. And you're not just in one single modality. My brother-in-law did uh, the beast distance, the 21K Spartan race this fall. And he, he's, he's an Ironman triathlete. And he said, this is completely different from doing an Ironman. He's like, for each of those things, I got in a groove. When I was swimming, I was in a groove. I got out. I'm doing my biking. I'm in a groove. I get out. I'm doing my running. I'm in a groove. He's like, this was so different. He's like, I found it harder to adjust. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's completely different. So your training needs to kind of reflect that. If you want to do well at it, you, you need to do um, compromised running. So running, run an interval, stop, do, uh, let's say, I don't know, 20 burpees or something or right. whatever it is that your training is that day. You know, you're, you're going to be incorporating something else into that mix so that your body is used to changing gears like that. So when it's time to run, you start running Yep. and not just standing around and being like, Oh, what do I do now? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, that makes perfect sense. So 
I don't know. I'm sold. I think this is um, it. It it does sound like such such a good thing on many levels for women in this audience to try. Is there is there anything that we haven't talked about that you wanted to get across? Um, you know, I think I think mainly it's just about uh, keeping keeping yourself active and fit, and you're, you're doing all these different things like lifting heavy things, uh, doing some sprint intervals, um, do a lot of kind of low level motion, whether it's walking or, or slow paced running, um, being mindful of your nutrition. These are all things that will help you in the long run just with life. And I, I kind of got in, I kind of ended up doing the right thing by accident. So I feel fortunate in that. And I feel fortunate to have been drawn to a specific type of sport that that's the type of training that works for it. And I, I feel like you're never too old to start doing those things. Um, and, and you, like I said, you start where you are. You, if you're walking, walk, uh, that's awesome. Get out there and walk, uh, do a little bit of interval training with it, you know, throw in those, those sprints, those 20, 30 second sprints, um, do some lifting, but under the guidance of someone who knows what they're doing. So you don't get, uh, that's the whole thing too. I I've been fortunate to be remarkably injury free, knock on wood. I'll probably like break my leg this weekend, but, <laughs> <laughs> but I, I feel like, um, doing this type of training has made my body stronger and more resilient overall. And I also have, sometimes I have enough sense to back off when I, sense something is not quite right and, and let the healing happen. Um, so it, it's basically, uh, basically I feel like anybody can do this. And I, I don't mean you're going to be the world champion. You're not, I'm not going to be a world champion and that's okay. I'm, I'm fine with that. I, I want to see how well I can do at this, um, for my age group and, and so forth. So, um, I feel like it's something that People should give a try. Well, that is our show. Come on back next week when I sit down with Jeanette McGill, who is a high altitude mountaineer who leads treks with other menopausal women. And man, oh man, the stories and the wisdom she shares, you won't want to miss this one. So come on back next week. And until then... As always, stay feisty. You've been listening to Hit Play, Not Pause, a feisty menopause podcast for active, performance-minded women. I'm your host, Celine Yeager. The show is edited and produced by the strong, talented, and amazing women at Live Feisty Media. Follow us on social media at Feisty Menopause, And please help us spread the word. Screenshot and share this episode on your social media channels with the tag at Feisty Menopause. Share the show with your friends. And please subscribe, like, review, and rate this show wherever you get your podcasts. Word of mouth and good reviews make it easier for other listeners to find. Thanks for listening. And as always, stay feisty. As a lifelong runner and cyclist, I am stoked to announce that Tifosi Optics has come on as a podcast sponsor. 
The beauty of Tifosi sports glasses is that they hit all the marks. They are shatterproof polycarbonate, so the lenses not only reduce glare, but also offer scratch resistance and complete eye protection. They stay put. They have little hydrophilic rubber nose pads that actually get more grippy the more you sweat, so they stay secure and don't slide down your face even when you're running in sauna-like conditions. No matter what sport you do, they have a shade for your activity, including tennis, fishing, pickleball, running, cycling, and just hanging out at the beach. And they are super reasonably well-priced, which is very hard to find in a sea of overpriced eyewear. And they just look freaking rad. So head on over to tifosioptics.com and use the code FM, capital F, and capital M, like Feisty Menopause, number 20, FM20, to get 20% off your order today. I'll put a clickable link in the show notes to make it a snap.